0: well hello everybody and welcome to the second of our six easter experiences here at new spring my name is mark i have the privilege of being the pastor here at new spring church and we're so thankful that you're here and i can tell by looking around south auditorium that it's a challenge to attend new spring and we recognize that we are grateful and we never take for granted that you would spend part of your easter weekend with us For all of you in the North Auditorium, hello. For those of you watching online, hello. And those of you watching on television, we're so thankful that you've joined us. You may be seated, and let's get started. You know, it's one of the most sustainable facts of ancient history that on an April Sunday morning, 1,992 years ago, a murdered man, his body destroyed by brutality that we can't imagine, a murdered man walked out of his own grave under his own power. That That had never happened before and it hasn't happened since. In all the years I've been, I'm in my fourth decade here at New Spring and I was pastor before I got here. I've done well over a thousand funerals and I gotta be honest, nobody's ever gotten up and gone home with us. That's the nature of death. But 1992 years ago, on an April Sunday morning, a dead man came back to life. It's such an amazing thing that there are those who won't accept that, but not those who investigate objectively. Back in 1930, there was a guy by the name of Frank Morrison, a non-theist. He didn't believe. So he set out to write the definitive book that once and for all would debunk the myth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and embarrass people like me who are foolish enough to believe in it. But as he investigated, Morrison watched as the very opposite thing happened. The evidence, not not, not some sort of spiritual thing, but the very raw evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ overwhelmed him. And he put that evidence in a book and I still think it's the most It's the most effective congealed treatment of that evidence. I still think it's the best. It's called, Who Moved the Stone? Six decades later, same thing happened again. There was uh, an atheist author, an award-winning investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune, named Lee Strobel. He had something that kind of blew up his life. His wife went to church and she Accepted jesus christ as her lord and savior and it just completely freaked him out and so to show her how wrong she was And to kind of pour out the anger that he had at her decision He turned all those investigative skills on the subject of the resurrection of jesus christ for two years And at the end of those two years he wound up just like frank morrison embracing christ and in 1998 He wrote a book called the case for christ But this easter Bear with us, because we're going to go past the resurrection. As you may have watched, we kind of began the service with the depiction of the resurrection. We're going to go past the empty tomb, and we're going to ask the question, where did he go next? Well, we know that on the day of his resurrection, he talked to Mary Magdalene. He walked for a while with a couple of his followers on the road to a nondescript town named Emmaus, And he met with his disciples that Sunday night in a closed room. And in the days that followed, he appeared to a lot of people. In fact, the Apostle Paul would tell us in the book of 1 Corinthians that there was a time where he appeared to over 500 of his followers at one time. (laughs) One of the uh, explanations du jour of those who did not like Jesus was that, uh, and it's followed to this day, among skeptics, that his followers so wanted to believe in the resurrection that they hallucinated. Well, getting 500 people in one place to hallucinate, now I'm from the Woodstock generation. So 500 people hallucinating in the same place, that's not amazing, but all having the same hallucination, now that would be. So we know that Jesus stayed around and hung with his followers for 40 days. 40 days. What happened in those 40 days? Well, the Bible's actually kind of quiet on that. We know a few things. Dr. Luke... In the book of Acts, just says this. After his death, he showed them that he was alive, proving it to them in many ways. The apostles saw Jesus many times during the 40 days after he was raised from the death. He spoke to them, watch this. He spoke to them about God's kingdom. Well, we may not know everything that he did in those 40 days, but I'll tell you what we do know. We know the impact of those 40 days. And the reason why I go there is that impact is still felt among us today let's let's point out three quick things that that time with Jesus in those 40 days let's let's look at three impacts that they had that it had then, and it still has for us today first if they had any doubts about Jesus promises they didn't have those doubts anymore Jesus had said something a little while before He died to his disciples. He tried to let them know what was going to happen. And Mark writes this in 9, verse 31. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed to some people who want nothing to do with God. They will murder him. Three days after his murder, he'll rise again. They didn't know what he was talking about, but were afraid to ask him. But you can imagine how they felt when they sat in that room with Jesus. There he was. They watched him die on the cross. And now here he was, vital, vibrant, alive except with some nail prints in his hands. If they had any doubts, those doubts were gone. That's what the resurrection does. It's game, set, match. It's the coup de gras argument. But there's something more beautiful. This is where it really gets personal with you and me. Because of the price Jesus paid on the cross and his resurrection, it's possible to have a new beginning. You know my biggest problem with my past? I can't undo it. And if I can't undo my wrong, I really am limited in fixing its effect. But when Jesus came out of the cross, off the cross, rose from the grave, and appeared before his disciples, he was saying, it's possible now to start over. It's one... and one of the most beautiful scenes after Jesus arose from the grave. Well, let me just go back here for a moment. There was one of his disciples that had flamed out in a really embarrassing way the night Jesus was arrested. His name was Peter. And Peter had said to Jesus, now these others, they'll stay, they, they're gonna run away from you, but I'm gonna stay with you. Pete's with you all the way. But you know what happened? He denied that he even knew Jesus three times. He thought he was finished. He thought God would never want anything to do with him again. I mean, after all, denying Jesus three times, the last time he cussed. But when Jesus appeared to his disciples, he gave them the message for those who had not heard. Tell his disciples, and look at this little phrase, and Peter. Peter, it's not finished. You have a new start. You're going to do great things. But here's the biggest effect that the resurrection had in those 40 days that Jesus had with his followers. You know, before Jesus died, they they had been so afraid of dying themselves that they scurried like frightened rabbits when Jesus was arrested. But these guys were never afraid again. One of the seminal evidences of the resurrection, the actual resurrection of Jesus Christ, is his disciples who claimed to be eyewitnesses went to their deaths, martyr deaths, You know, you may be martyred for something that you've heard about, but you won't be martyred for something that you know firsthand is a hoax. They were never afraid of death again. You know, their persecutors were always scaring them with, you're gonna die if you keep telling about Jesus. Well, how do you scare guys who've sat across the table on a Sunday night from a guy who died on Friday afternoon and he's sitting there vital, alive and vibrant? How are you gonna scare them with death after that? I mean, they could say, just kill me. But that's what, then they'd say, but then look out for me to come back. Well, I'm sure that those 40 days passed quickly, and they did pass. And on that last day that Jesus had with his disciples, he walked outside the city of Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives. And as they walked, the disciples kept asking, he'd been talking about the kingdom. The disciples said, is it now? Are you going to restore the kingdom now? And Jesus said, no, no. And after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. And while while they were looking at an empty sky, that's when the angels gave the Easter prophecy. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. But here's the Easter prophecy. Someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. Someday he will return. It's 2022. It's been 2000 years nearly since Jesus left. So, where are we now? Why these 2000 years? I mean, when Jesus rose from the grave, why didn't he just say game set match, that's it. We're ready to go. It's finished now. Well, the answer to that question, it's all over the Bible, but it's also all over this campus today. Look around. Just look around the room. See, the reason why God waited and continues to wait is that God wanted a big family. He wanted you and me. If this thing had all been finished when Jesus ascended back into heaven, you and I weren't born yet. We'd never have a chance to be part of God's kingdom. We wouldn't have a chance to know God. We'd never sniff heaven. Well, let's go back to the question the disciples of Jesus asked that day with Jesus. And let's us ask, why then... Didn't Jesus begin his kingdom after he came back to life? They asked the question Lord does the time come for the kingdom? And then he said those dates and times they're not for you to know but he said here's what you are going to be doing You're going to be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem throughout Judea Samaria and into the ends of the earth That's where we are we're in Kansas That's the end of the world, right? (laughs) Now jesus said take the gospel what what is the gospel well the word gospel means good news good message good word what is that good news (laughs) that the right religion has been found i've had people ask me that question how do you know the right religion good luck on that one is that the good news Is the good news is that if you try real hard and try to Be a a nice person. That's what a lot of people tell me. I know I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. How do you know where the threshold is? Is it like the top 10%, the top 50%? That's not the good news. The good news is that Jesus died to pay for all our sins. That's the good news. Newspringers know I love Colossians 1.13. I want to read it out of the Amplified Translation because Amplified Translation kind of puts in all the implications of the original language. It says, for he has rescued us and drawn us to himself. Now, some people have the idea God's pushing us away. He's drawn us to himself from the dominion of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption because of his sacrifice resulting in the forgiveness of our sins. And I don't like to suffer, so I like this next one. And the cancellation of sin's penalty. That's the good news. That's the good news. It's really critical that we understand why Jesus had to die for us. We have two problems. Number one, we're sinners, and number two, we're not righteous. Romans 3.10, none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, all of sin come short of the glory of God. Our problem, I'm a sinner, I'm not righteous. Along comes Jesus, God in skin, God in flesh. For 33 years, he runs the table, lives a life I could never live, and then takes that perfect life and lays on a Roman cross. The way God saw it, the blood that came out of his body was a currency that paid for my sin. so the greatest trade of all time took place. My sin clicked and dragged onto Jesus Christ. His righteousness clicked and dragged and placed on me. So that on the cross, the reason why the innocent son of God suffered, he was wearing my sin. And someday I'm gonna stand before God and I'm going to have to give an account. And yet, when I stand there before God and they open the book and they see the name Stephen Mark Hoover, right underneath it, it will say, see the record of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Now that's a great trade. That's a great trade. So how do we answer the question, where are we now? Well, I think, You and I could characterize the world we're living in right now as God's grace plus bad things. We have the offer of a perfect relationship with God, but we're also living in a world where bad things happen. But it won't always be that way. We have the Easter prophecy. Jesus himself gave it to us the night of his arrest. He said to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. Now here is how it works the first time he comes it's an evacuation that could happen at any moment and he comes to take us home the next time he comes seven years later he's coming back as the warrior king to defeat satan and all of his armies it could happen anytime the easter prophecy i will come back so what will things be like when jesus comes back to begin his kingdom well I'd almost have to give you the whole Bible to answer that question, but let's look at a few things. For all of us who are concerned about ecology, it's good to know that when Jesus begins his kingdom, there'll be perfect ecology. Listen to these words from Romans. I'm gonna read a little bit here. For all creation is waiting for that future day. For on that day, thorns and thistles, sin, death, and decay, the things that overcame the world against its will will all disappear from the world around us and the world will share in the glorious freedom from sin which God's children enjoy. For we know that even the things of nature, like animals and plants, suffer in sickness and death as they await this great event. Wow, it's going to be so much bigger than we can imagine. Well, we get a little specificity from the prophet Isaiah who wrote 750 years before Jesus was born. He said that in Jesus' kingdom, in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf will be safe with the lion. The lion will eat hay like a cow. Lions will be vegan. That'll be interesting to see. <laughs> the baby will play near the hole of a cobra. And this is my favorite line. Because so many people hurt people. So many things hurt. Like cancer, and natural disasters. Listen to this. Nothing will hurt or destroy. Yeah. I guess my favorite treatment of this question is in the last book of your Bible next to the last chapter, Revelation 21. I heard a loud shout, John writes, from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. A few moments ago, I kind of opened this up. That what God wants from you and me is he wants us to become his children not to join a particular religion. Religion is just a human nomenclature invented to try to process the concept of a divine, whatever that is. The Bible's not a book of religion. It's a schematic. It's God's plan to draw you into his family and to make a way for you to be there. But as I said a moment ago, the problem that we have is our sin and our lack of goodness is what keeps us out. So God took care of that. He sent himself, his son, God in skin, Jesus, lived the perfect life that we can't live. And then he died on the cross for our sins. So that trade could be made. But there's a place where it has to be personal. I could bring you a gift and it would be from my heart, no strings attached, at no cost to you. But there's one place where it could break down and that's if it's not received God can do everything in the world in the universe to draw you into his family but the one thing he can't do for you is he can't say yes and so that's what this next moment is about if you're here or watching online or watching on television and you say Mark I want to have this relationship with God I want to know that I'm forgiven I want to know that I'm going to heaven when I die. The great thing about it is it's free. It won't cost you anything. Jesus has already paid for it. In fact, the worst thing you could do is try to bring something yourself. I mean, it would be like being invited to the greatest banquet of all time and bringing some stale pork and beans as if we had to add it to the banquet. That's what happens when we try to be good enough to go to heaven. you yes from you. So here's what I'm going to do. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I'm going to pray a prayer. These aren't magic words. These are words that just give you an opportunity. If you want to say them, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray this prayer real slowly in segments so you can decide if you want to say this to God, because if you want to say it, it's from your heart. He'll, he'll listen. The Bible says, because he bends down to listen, we'll talk. So here's the prayer. If you wanna pray it with me, you can. You don't have to pray it out loud. God knows what's going on inside of you. Here we go. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he arose from the grave. And since Jesus is alive, I want him to be my savior and my king. Thank you for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our lights are down right now, and in the quietness and anonymity of this moment, if you just pray with me, wherever you are—galleries, balcony, main floor—if you just pray with me, would you just make eye contact with me, just all over the building, just just make eye contact with me? Thank you. Well, in a few moments as the service continues, you're gonna find out how to take the next step because we have a gift box for you. It's free, it won't cost you anything. You'll learn how to get it. It's got a Bible, a book I wrote that will answer a lot of questions. And I have ADD, I write short books and uh, a journal and some other gifts. It's free, it won't cost you anything. We just wanna help take the next step with you. Well, the service is gonna go on, but this is the last time I'll see you. So, I mean, before next weekend. So, uh, thank you for being here. There's a lot more good stuff to happen. God bless. Happy Easter. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.